Well, good morning. So a lot of people have been asking me lately how I've been doing, how I've been feeling heading towards the sabbatical, um, including some family members. They've been asking me, you know, how are you feeling? Are you ready? No. But the church is ready. The church is ready. And in some of those conversations, the, the, the topic of sabbatical has come up. Um, so one of my family members asked me, they said, how, you know, how do you feel about taking a sabbatical? And he said, I don't get it. I work hard too. When do I get my sabbatical? Now, I didn't say this. And honestly, I wish I kind of had said this. I wish I had said, yes, you should take a sabbatical. What's stopping you? And I know for us here, we are excited We are excited that Tim is gone. (laughs) That sounded bad. Dean, strike that from the recording. We are though, right? We're excited. But we'd kind of be missing the point. We'd be missing the point if we were just happy for them. So we're going to take the next month and we're going to see what God's Word has to say about Sabbath. About the underlying word underneath sabbatical. Sabbath. Sabbath rest. And you know, it's actually going to be kind of hard. And let me tell you why. Because it's at the core of the misguided question that this family member was asking me. See, we assume that Sabbath rest is easy. It's just like a vacation, right? Or like a long weekend, right? But very rarely, if ever, do our vacations or our weekends involve any bit of Sabbath ceasing. Or do they actually ever leave us feeling restful, right? You know why? Because many of us actually don't embrace the Sabbath command to stop our normal rhythms, to cease striving, and to stop and remember God's goodness and to delight in Him. I often feel like I need a vacation from my vacation at the end of it, right? And I think the reason why is because we idolize busyness. So one of the things I do um, throughout my week to try to you know, rest and stop is I go over to the Y and I play basketball a couple times a week. And um, I'm going to share a little story about something really stupid I said recently. Um, so I went at, and I was playing basketball with, with these guys and saw a friend that I'm trying to get to know, um, trying to develop a relationship with, maybe minister to. And we had the normal interaction, the get to know you, or how you doing sort of interaction. You know, how you doing? You know, he said something, nothing memorable, just your normal run-of-the-mill response. And then he flipped it back to me, Jake, how you doing? And I said this. I'm doing great. I've been busy though. But busyness is good, right? Like alarm sounding in the background, alarm sounding. But busyness is good though, right? Was my question that I responded back to him. Like, where did that come from? Where do I believe that? Somewhere deep down in my heart. Do you? Do you believe that? How many of you um, can relate to me on this? Every time that you are asked how you're doing kind of have a similar response it's uh i'm doing good but busy right that's like my go-to i don't think i can actually answer that question without saying that first 
and then qualifying it with something else. It's like, I have to say I'm busy. I have to say I'm busy. Why do I do that? Why do we do that? And I think we do this because we believe that that's how you prove your worth or your value in our world. We believe that the lives of most significance, the people that really belong, are the rich, the famous, the celebrities, the supermoms, the people who are on social media showing that they're doing all these things, the people who get to travel. Do we believe that those are the lives of most impact, of most significance? And I honestly think that that's what we think successful looks like. And when we do that, busyness will become an idol rather than worship of the Lord. It will be an idol. Let me give you an illustration to maybe prove this point a little bit. So who is the more successful pastor? We got Pastor Joe Rockstar here. I got it from my Pastor Collector Series baseball card. All right, it's a little bit off the screen, but you can see Pastor Joe Rockstar here. He works 80-hour weeks. He personally runs every ministry in the church. He's got 28 BPM, which is baptisms per month. It's league-leading. Four publications per year. Um, and he stayed busy at all times throughout the year. Or how about our second baseball card? Here. <laughs> I don't know anybody about, anything about this guy here. Yeah, it's an action shot. I had to get an action shot here. How about a pastor who knows it's so not about him that every ministry in the church is trying to not be run by him? And he's excited to leave on a sabbatical rather than padding his stats. Honestly, I think somewhere weirdly, I view Pastor Joe Rockstar as being successful. But honestly, I think we have a lot to be really grateful for right now that we are going into a season of success because our pastor is obeying God's call to take a Sabbath rest. This is why keeping the Sabbath is actually really hard because you can't pad your accomplishment stats. You can't build up your resume anymore when you're ceasing and when you're stopping. And I'll confess, I don't Sabbath or rest well. Because honestly, I don't have the right perspective on work either. When we view our work as building up our accomplishment resume, we will never value or enter into a Sabbath rest. It's really difficult to say my identity, my worth is not in what I accomplish, but it's in being a son of God. It's in being a daughter of the Most High. So you know what? The sabbatical isn't just for the Bushfields. It's actually for our church. This is sort of the secret meeting while the pastor is away. This is a season where actually it might be a little bit harder. I should start by saying that. It might be a little bit harder in some ways because we might have to have our definitions of success flipped on their heads a little bit. But we're going to remember our identity and belonging is in Christ Jesus. And we're going to try really hard to answer the how you doing question with, I've been good, but I'm committing to no longer worshiping being busy. 
And this January, we're going to do the very countercultural thing, the very crazy thing, and we're going to embrace the Sabbath. No, we're not sending everyone to Costa Rica. Sorry about that. But I want to challenge us to embrace the Sabbath in our own lives. Why? Because Sabbath rest is that rhythm that God has given us that reminds us that God has made us to be with Him in all that we do. It's an incredibly important obligation. It's a command in Scripture. But it's also an opportunity. It's a gift. And it's from Genesis to Revelation. So for the next four weeks, we're going to look at why God calls us to the Sabbath. And each week, I want to offer a clear way to embrace this gift of Sabbath, rest. So that we can remember their identity is in Him. It's not in our accomplishments. It's not in our busyness. Because God's version of resting is very different from ours. God's version of delighting is very different from the world's. And God's version of work is very different from the world's. So let's turn to, to read what God has to say about this in God's Word. And we don't have to go very far to get there. It's on page 2 of your Bibles. And this whole Sabbath thing first shows up. So Genesis 2, verses 1 through 9, and verses 15 on page 2 in your pew Bibles. It'll also be up on the screen here as well. So I guess off the side a little bit. Apologize for that. Genesis 2, 1 through 9, and verse 15. So the word of the Lord. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And skipping down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. This is the word of the Lord. So let's talk work. Like, wait, what? This is Sabbath. Sabbath rest was the series, right? Well, I, yeah, a little bait and switch here, sorry. We, you see... You can't actually talk about rest without talking about work. Before God said in the Ten Commandments that the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God and on it you shall not do any work, He said six days you shall labor and do all your work. To talk rest without first talking about labor would be missing 85.7% of the equation. Six-sevenths of the equation. You can't have rest without labor. I mean, what does it even mean to have rest without labor? Right? It's like, um, I read this recently in a book called The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan. He talks about feasting. And he says, in America, it's really hard to understand the concept of feast because every meal is a feast for most of us. Every meal is a feast. 
So what is Christmas dinner if you had pretty much the same thing the night before? It's the same idea here. What is rest if you never labor? So in order to even understand rest, we have to first, we have to first talk about labor. You can't talk about rest in a vacuum. And actually, you can't talk about work without talking about rest. They're so much more intertwined than I think we give them credit for. And I think when we have a right perspective on work, we'll have a right perspective on rest. So this week, we're going to start talking about the other six days. And when I say work, don't just hear me say your occupation or your paid employment, if you are lucky to have paid employment. I'm referring to any labor in your life, including your jobs, including your services or ministries in the church, your obligations to your family, your honey-do list. All labor. God has made some incredibly important things to say about labor um, in our work. And honestly, I believe it's going to destroy our idol of busyness when we hear the truth of God's word on work. And it doesn't take long in Genesis 1 for him to say a lot. And the first thing we see is this. We were made. Verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. We were made, formed by God. This is the simplest building block in all of philosophy, in all of wisdom, Recognition that we were made, formed by God, is so important. It has many implications, and we're not going to cover nearly any of them. But just as it, as it is regards work, as it regards to labor, consider your work, whatever it may be. We have teachers in the room. We have police officers in the room, real estate agents, full-time moms and dads. We have students. We have elders, programmers, coaches. What lies at the foundation underneath everything as it regards to your work? What is the most foundational principle underneath it all? The first building block. I think we're told that the first building block is that you work to earn money to live for the weekend, maybe. To then be able to live. If your work is about power or legacy or impact. I mean, thinking about it from a more positive side, we work to change the world and have an impact. And it's not that any of these things that I'm saying are actually bad, but they're not the foundation. They're not the building block underneath everything. Our work included. The building block is we were made. You were made by God. We did not make ourselves. There's a saying that, you know, for somebody who gets to a point of success, Despite the odds, they're a self-made man or a self-made woman, right? Well, in the truest sense of the word, that doesn't exist. In all reality, we were made by God. Is the, the underlying foundational principle and truth. And I know for most of us here, you're like, I know that. That's why I'm here. Right? This is not new information, Jake. But imagine with me just for a moment. The first thing you did when you woke up was you said this. Holy God, you made me. You made me. And I want to remember that through every moment of my day. Wouldn't that just utterly change everything? 
if we could hold on to that truth. Because I don't know about you, but it's pretty quick before the whole universe starts revolving around me during my day, right? I can get in the car going anywhere, and there's a traffic jam. The universe is trying to stop me in a traffic jam, right? It's not that the person who got in an accident up there, like, that they really matter, but this traffic jam is all about me. I mean, how many, how many of us here can relate a little bit to that? I think the words of the psalmist in Psalm 8 are what we need to remember because when we have a right perspective, the right perspective that we get from remembering that we were made by God, the reality that God made us, it will remind us of our insignificance. The words of Psalm 8, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is mankind? Who am I? What a wretched man am I. Will my great-grandkids even remember my name someday? The reality that we were made by God, our perfect Creator and Heavenly Father, reminds us that we are but just a moment. Dust. The reality that you were made, we need to remember it because it reminds us of our insignificance, and also our significance. The reality that we are made by a perfect Creator and Heavenly Father reminds us that we are significant. The psalmist continues, he says, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that God, you care for us. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You've made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. You are so important and significant in the eyes of God. He has made you. He desires to know your heart, to hear your cries, to love you. He's offered up his son on the cross for you. So every moment of your life, every moment of your waking, sleeping, every moment of your work is significant. And in fact, he has made each of us uniquely, uniquely with different skills, different passions. And Scripture, in fact, says that each of us has been specifically gifted and equipped in a way that builds up the body of believers. We've been given unique ways and unique purposes to build up the church. There's a rabbinic saying um, that, that taught that every person should carry two pieces of paper in their pockets. And in one pocket, they'd have written, For me, the world was created. We are significant. And in the other, I am but dust and ashes. So that we can remember that we are both profoundly insignificant, yet significant. The saying says, Our souls are poised between greatness and nothingness. And knowing this, we are blessed. This is true in all of our labor and our work. The building block behind our entire conversation, before we even start talking about rest, we're talking about work, it cannot be overstated that God has made you. You are not your own. You are not the center of the universe. I need to hear that right now. I am not the center of the universe. Yet this also means that each of our lives are indeed significant. God has made you. You are the workmanship of the Almighty. 
In fact, he's made you for a reason, which leads to the second thing we see in the text, which is that we were made to work. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. God has made us for a reason. And even in the paradise of the garden, even in that perfect paradise of the garden, there was work. Now this may not sit super well for all of us, right? And talk about something that could be quickly abused. But you were made to work. A recent study at Boston College has revealed that, um, that those who continue to work in some sort of capacity, um, whether that is volunteer or part-time, after their retirement years, have a significantly longer anticipated lifespan. That's interesting, right? That's not the reason why we should work, or we should continue to work. But I think it weirdly points back to this reality. We were made to work. We live as if we work in order to get to the weekend. Where living finally happens. We're talking about the retirement commercials. It's an entire ad um, system that's built upon this belief that retirement is when it's finally all about you. Have you heard that before? That's a bunch of baloney. I think even in the church, we buy into this idea a little bit of work being evil. Some might say, doesn't the curse of sin mean work is just evil? Right? I've, I've read Genesis 3, that next chapter. There's a lot to say about work there, isn't there? Right? Here, here's the curse of sin. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the fields. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you are taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. But work is not the result of sin toiling in work is the result of sin work was before the fall in the garden in relationship adam and eve were given a task to work it and care for it the result of sin is that your work is going to be tough it's going to take place in a very broken world and this is why work is awful sometimes right whatever your workplace is it will be covered in sin Selfishness, incompetence, malpractice, greed. If one of your employees also goes to church with you, you can't be nodding too much here, Dean. Bureaucracy, theft, gossip, backstabbing, blackmail. And for the landscaper, Matt, quite literally thorns and thistles. But before sin, we were still made by God, our perfect Father, and He gave us work to do. So when I talk about work, I want to be clear here. Our goal in life as followers of Jesus and as children created by God is not to get to the point someday where we don't have to work. Our goal in life is to get where our work is done in the way that God has always designed it to be. Now let me take a moment here just to say, some of us here are prone to being workaholics. And this Sabbath series is going to cut to the core a little bit. (laughs) Honestly, I hope it does. For me as well. But also some of us here are building up our hope in a picture of getting past the curse of sin 
And honestly, that's leading to laziness. And to be clear, that's a misplaced hope. This is the view of work as an obstacle to get past. God has made you not so that you can get to a beach in the Virgin Islands someday. Heaven isn't the perfect retirement home. From the beginning of Genesis to the new creation in Revelation to being in the presence of the Almighty in the new creation, we have a purpose and a work to do. We were made to work. And if we don't get that, we can't even start to talk about Sabbath rest. It's not an obstacle. Not to the workaholic in the room. Work doesn't make you. Work isn't the objective we are after. It in and of itself is not what will give you purpose or meaning or joy. You've forgotten the first point. God has made you. He has made you. Actually, work as it was designed by God, just like we're going to see about rest, is both an obligation and an opportunity. It's an obligation and an opportunity. And but what brings all this together is the how of our work. Or honestly, it's the who. You see, this is the most important piece of work. That we were made to work with God. This is the single most important piece. It is about being with God. Now when I say with God, what I'm talking about is relationship. We were made to work with the ultimate end goal of ourselves and everyone around us being with God. Or to say it another way, we work with a purpose to glorify God, to make Him known, to reveal His heart. No matter what work we do, it can be work that is done with God. Now some of you may be familiar with um, the book Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Partially on the screen there. Now, Brother Lawrence was a monk who lived in the 1600s. That's why he's got the awesome garb in here. Great haircut. He had a very, very simple life. You think, like, my job is boring, Jake. There's no way that there's anything redemptive about it. Now, this guy, every single day, did the same exact thing over the course of his life. He cleaned dishes, he made food, and he took care of the community that he was a part of. Same thing every single day. But what he practiced every day was mindfulness in that menial labor. He would reflect on the simplicity of God's gift and the beauty of water. As he was washing the dishes, he would think about the way in which his hands were made in such a way where he could grip things. He could hold them. And it would draw him into awe and wonder. Or the way that his senses could so seamlessly communicate with one another. He could smell things and see things. And it drew him into worship. Somehow, washing dishes became worship. It's amazing. He would remember that God was near him and he could talk to God in every moment of his day. And it made the most menial work actually worship. He could be with God even as he did the same thing each day in seeming monotony. And he called it practicing the presence of God. Now some of us maybe can relate to this. 
and that our work feels so simple. It's just clocking in, clocking out, Jay. Clocking in, clocking out. And you need to hear and remember that those hours can be hours spent with God. And what we're going to talk about with Sabbath rest, I really hope is going to be able to equip us to continue to think about that more. And it will be really important towards that end. But there's a second piece here too. of When I say we were made to work with God, there's a second piece that's really important. You see, our work can actually be a very good thing. It's not opposed to spending time with the Lord. I've set up busyness as being opposed to worship of God. But work isn't opposed to worship. It can actually be really redemptive. Continuing to use Brother Lawrence as an example, he took the time to have his letters shared with others in such a way that now there's a book that is a bestseller that many in this room have read that has changed lives. His work, his labor has changed lives. It has a far-reaching impact for the glory of God. And some of us can relate to this too. And that's awesome. You are lucky. You are blessed to have a job where maybe this is the case. That is so exciting. But you need to hear this. Is your work worshiping and revealing God? Or is it about worshiping and building you up? And perhaps it's to those in the room that love and feel the impact of their job most that Sabbath is going to be the hardest. It is. This is my challenge as well. And I find the question that I have to ask is why am I working? Am I working to glorify and reveal God or is it about worshiping me, building up my accomplishments? We're going to see over the next month that it's right here that the Sabbath can set you right. We were made to work with God. This is the picture of work throughout Scripture. From Adam and Eve in the garden to David the shepherd and king to the disciples to the early church to even the new creation. God has made you. He's given you a calling and a purpose to work. But that work has a purpose to reveal God, to be with God, to help others see God. So let me ask you this question this morning. Does your work reflect that we were made to work with God? And again, this isn't just about the specific work of working in ministry or speaking out loud the gospel. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that this is automatically true in my own life. In fact, every day I am receiving that temptation to work in order to show my significance, to gain power, to work without even acknowledging God. What a wretched man am I. Thanks be to God our Lord Jesus Christ for His grace, but also His Word that reveals a right picture of work. So does your work reflect that you are made to work, to glorify, reveal, and be with God? And there's a number of ways that the Spirit might be moving in this room this morning, in your hearts. And that's great. There's a number of ways that you might be, be feeling led to be transformed in how you view work. I could be, you know, I could talk about praying while you work more. I could talk about sharing the gospel in your workplace more, or a host of other good things. But I want to give one thing this morning, and it may be a really surprising place as a start for a Sabbath series, that there is an incredible work to be done for the kingdom of God. The harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. 
and specifically here at Community Church, there are places for us to use and pour out the gifts that God has given us. Maybe especially while our senior pastor is gone. And I'm not raising this up against work anywhere else. It's not necessarily more important. I'm just saying that there's a garden to work and care for. And this church body needs the overflowing of the gifts that God has given to each of us in order to carry out the work that we're called to together. So perhaps one of the first steps in embracing the sabbatical for our church is to say, what about the other six? I want my days to reflect that I was made for a purpose to glorify you, God Almighty. I want to ask, where is your place? For the overcommitted in in this room who is serving in too many places in our church, perhaps you need to stop and reconsider where has God gifted you? Where has He gifted you? And are you working in the church with God for His glory? Perhaps you need to serve in less places and take more responsibility over the areas that God has gifted you in. For those of you who haven't served yet, let me say, we need, we desire, we want you to use the gifts that God has given you. And maybe there are some here who have placed their hope in rest without work. And I want to charge you to remember that God has given you these gifts. He's given you this life. And you need to hear this. Don't squander those gifts. There are seasons of rest that we are called into when we embrace them. We absolutely, utterly embrace them. But there's no such thing as rest without labor. God has called us to labor and there's work to be done. Yes, in your occupations. Yes, in your homes. And yes, in and through this church body. And I want you to hear me say this. You are never not yet ready to serve in some way. If you want to serve in the ch- with the children, you might need to wait six months. You might need to have a quarry check. <laughs> but you are, you are never not yet ready to serve in some way. You are never retired from it. You are never too young for it. Your house is never too messy for it. You are not too busy for it. And honestly, if you feel like you are too busy for it, I'm going to speak directly. Because I wish someone had said this to me when I first started attending this church and I came in the back door and walked out every day, every Sunday during the benediction. I wish someone had said to me, I urge you to reconsider your schedule. I know that that might feel harsh, but honestly, it gets back to this question. Does our work reflect that we were made to work with God? Does our life life reflect that we were made to work with God? God created the universe in six days. He labored and made the universe which reveals and glorifies Him. And the vocation, the calling that man as created in His image is called into is to work with Him. To glorify Him. Helping the world to see and know who our God is. This is a tremendous calling. You might even right now be feeling a weight of obligation. And it is right into this very moment that God says this. Verse 2. 
By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God didn't rest because he was tired. He doesn't get tired. He didn't rest because he needed to. He rested for you. He rested for me. This is why work isn't just an obstacle. It isn't just an objective. It's an obligation and an opportunity with God, which is exactly what Sabbath rest is all about. See, we were made to work with God. We were made to rest with God. Actually, what captures all this is just that from the beginning, we were made to be with God. And I hope and pray that this morning what you're hearing is this. May every moment of our lives reflect this reality. Whatever job we are in, whatever service, whatever looks like our task list, whatever sort of taskmaster is weighing over us this morning and think about all the things that I got to do, may you not be run by the busyness as the goal or the objective. May you not be striving in order to increase your accomplishment resume, but may it all be an opportunity to be with God. And it's exactly there that we can enter into a season of talking about Sabbath rest. This is my prayer for this morning. God, may you destroy the idol of busyness. May our labor be for the purpose of being with Him revealing and reflecting who He is in our world. And in so doing, may our hearts actually be ready and welcoming as we begin to talk about Sabbath. And as we get rocked by Sabbath a little bit, there's a reason why Leviticus talks about Sabbath as denying yourselves. But we'll get there next week. (laughs) But may our hearts be open to receiving the obligation and the opportunity of Sabbath rest. Let's give these things to the Lord. Holy God, we thank You so much, Lord. You are so good to us that You have given us a tremendous purpose, that our lives have meaning. Lord, we thank You that You care about us, that You are mindful of us. We thank You that You have given us this purpose of revealing You, Lord, of declaring Your name, magnifying You, glorifying You in every way. God, I pray over the workplaces that we will enter into this week. Lord, I pray that you would give us a sense and a mindfulness and a recognition that you are there, you are present with us in every moment. Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunities to reveal who you are in those places. God, I pray for not only the laborer who works the nine-to-five job, but I pray for the mothers in this room, the fathers in this room, those whose labors extend into the wee hours of the night, God. I pray that you would give us an opportunity to remember that you are present in those moments, that our work is for you, is a gift from you, God. Lord, we also are so excited, Father, to have you remind us of the rest that you've called us into, Lord. May we enter as a church into your rest, your perfect rest this season. 
alongside of the bush fields as they are away, God. Lord, you are so good. Equip us as a church in every good way for your purposes and for the work that you've called us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.